Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. (laughs) NFL television juggernaut intensifies. Although the NFL season is still young, viewership ratings for the primetime Thursday night football game have been impressively high so far. Through three games in the 2015 season, Thursday night football averaging a 13.2 rating on CBS NFL Network, up nearly 20% over this period last year. The recent dramatic Thursday CBS and NFL Network game between division rivals Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers peaked at a 14.7 rating and won the night in prime time. These ratings look to be a great start for the NFL and are poised to get only higher as the season continues and divisional rivalries intensify. The Thursday night window, an early Sunday morning international window, exclusive internet opportunities and the like, all attempts for the NFL to create value for their current partners and potential new ones. The quest for a new NBA revenue, floor sponsorships. The Boston Celtics have ended their holdout, now joining about half the league's 30 teams with so-called apron floor deals, ads on the court. The Celtics have signed a deal with Putnam Investments to put the company's name on their legendary parquet floor in front of both team benches. Putnam's a new sponsor of the team, and financial terms for the sponsorship have yet to be announced, but the floor apron deals are among the most valuable areas of inventory for NBA teams and typically command seven figures. The deal will also include in-arena branding for Putnam and broadcast and digital advertising. Apron advertisements have come a long way since being introduced to the league in 2013 during a test run when the Indiana Pacers sold court space to the Indiana Economic Development Corp. and the Toronto Raptors signed a deal worth over a million to print a company's name on their hardwood. Things not as rosy for the WNBA. This past season saw a record low attendance marker set in the league's 19th season. The league averaged about 7,300 fans per game during the regular season this past year, down 3% from the previous season and down from the previous low of about 7,500 in 2012. WNBA President Laurel Ritchie didn't seem phased by this stat, stating our biggest opportunity is to continue to grow our fan base. We're 19 years young, and on the journey, we focus a lot of our time and effort on building a genuine and sustainable fan base to set the stage for the next 20 years. On a positive note, the WNBA had 33 sellouts this past season, 25 more than last, and the Phoenix Mercury led all teams with an average of 9,946 fans per game and a league-high nine sellouts. Marketers remain interested in the WNBA demographic, and the ongoing relationship with NBA arenas and corporate partners. If the social media champion in Major League Baseball also became the World Series champion, it would be the Los Angeles Dodgers. MVP index ranks them highest in terms of social activity score, a combination of reach, which is fans and followers, and engagement, which is likes and favorites. The Cubs come in second, followed by the Blue Jays, with the Astros bringing up the rear. The Mets are in the middle of the pack, but saw their followers on Instagram and Twitter spike this summer. From June to September, the Mets increased their engagement score by 15%. 
They went from 2,889 likes and posts in June to 5,294 likes and posts in September on Facebook. They gained 11,800 Twitter followers per month from June through September, but they blew that number away on Instagram, adding 34,600 per month on that platform. It could have to do with the activity on the platform, on which they posted over 206 photos per month on average during that time period. Now, Larry Lucchino, who just retired as president and CEO of the Boston Red Sox. We've had most of the commissioners, many industry leaders, thought leaders, opinion leaders, but we haven't had anybody from Yale Law School who celebrated his 70th birthday and ran three franchises and has a collective, according to the program, yep, 2,132 against 1899 record. Larry Lucchino running the Red Sox. Who does that? Who, do, who, do, who does that? What, what's, what's, who keeps those well, records? I'm, do, you know, do you know every win you had? Uh, well, I think the, uh, every baseball team I've been affiliated with does indeed uh, keep track of it every year, so it's a simple matter of arithmetic. But uh, um, I, uh, I, and I, I do follow it. I'm, I'm pleased that it's a, a winning record. As if you spent 36 years or so in baseball, as I have, it's kind of nice to know that uh, on, the, the, uh, the, on the central issue of being part of a winning team, uh, that uh, we're, we're on the right side of that equation. Well. Uh, it is uh, it is but one one measurement uh, to be but it's uh, it's one that some baseball people think transcends the others. Well, but but uh, you know I'm kidding, and and some baseball people maybe. But listen, you win the '83 World Series in Baltimore, the '98 National League pennant in San Diego, and maybe what you're most known for, at least in Boston, is '04, '07, and '13 series. The '04 one, you were '0 for '86 for championship in the city before that. <laughs> so. I assume that makes you feel pretty darn good, huh? It does. It does. Uh, because um, we all know that some people think of the world of sports as a toy department, but it's, uh, I think, much more important than that. It, it affects the community's uh, sense of well-being, the community's uh, ability to, uh, to bond and relate to one another, to come together, to celebrate things, and uh, just the whole uh, mood and um, and... Uh, point of view of people is influenced by by this local sports team, and we're really lucky in Boston to have such a great collection of sports teams. Us, we we won uh, what did we win three times in ten years, and during that time period, the Patriots also won a couple of times. I think the uh, um, the uh, Celtics won, and the Bruins won. So it's uh, it's been a kind of golden uh, age for, uh, for, for for Boston and New England sports. Well, yeah, and you've been right in the middle of the golden age quite clearly, but more important, I guess, getting into, for a couple of seconds, Boston Strong and the bombing, and that's behind us, and historians will write about the worst day in Boston as far as the marathon's concerned, but they should also write about the recovery and what the sports franchises did in the recovery, and specifically the Red Sox, don't you think? I think so. I think it was one of uh, our finest hours as a city and as a, as a sports community. Uh, we certainly uh, uh, came together after that first weekend of the capture of the terrorists and celebrated together as a community uh, with David Ortiz uh, leading the comments and leading the charge. And it was uh, it, it, it was an opportunity for sports to, to serve a larger uh, social uh, cause or issue. 
and it, it did so very well. And the, and the sense of community and connection and that the, the came about was, is uh, really are, are unforgettable for me. Well, so early on, and we don't have enough time, we could do a nine-and-a-half-hour interview and still not capture everything, but obviously we start with Williams and Connolly. You get to know Edward Bennett Williams in that context, the morphing into the president CEO of the Orioles and later the Padres. When did you know you were destined to have a career in sports, or did you just wake up one morning and say, man, here it is? Well, uh, um, it was more like the latter. I, I went to Ed's, Ed Williams Law Firm uh, because it was, a, by my lights, a very cool law firm. Lots of uh, trial work, lots of criminal work, and uh, and it was uh, national in its, uh, in its uh, uh, scope. But um, all, my whole career in sports is directly uh, attributable to Edward Bennett Williams and the faith he showed in me and the judgments he, he made uh, about my uh, my role with the Redskins to begin with, and then they, thereafter he bought the Orioles, and I played a uh, both a legal and a business role uh, with uh, with both teams. And uh, of course, we bought the Orioles uh, from from his estate. But uh, but for Edward Bennett Williams, I would be but another lawyer. Uh, uh, laboring in some deposition this afternoon in Washington, D.C. Make it sound a little more interesting than that. There are a lot of people who still like the profession, although I must admit they're dwindling, and I don't know any. <laughs> so that's probably, <laughs> probably the right answer. But now, you know, tell us a little bit about how difficult it is to I a franchise, be involved in that franchise, but at the same time... Uh, issues relating to stadium development in the same package. Um, you know, the bottom line of all of this is that you buy a franchise and it's, uh, it's not cooked as well as it should be unless you mm-hmm. deal with the stadium and facility part, part of the process. Right. And you did, it, you did it with Camden, you did it with Petco, and you did it with Fenway. So, so generalize for us. Well, it's uh, certainly one of the, uh, as you said, it's one of the most important uh, uh, pillars of the of the franchise we're lucky here because Fenway is such a star Fenway is so special and so uh, appealing and so popular uh, but no matter what your facility is uh, it, it is a, a, a central element of the success of your franchise and uh, and it's about the hardest thing that you can do is to uh, uh, do a wholesale renovation or build a new one the political uh, currents are strong uh, the uh, the uh, level of uh, of opposition is always uh, is always there uh, but the uh, goal is so worth it if you can uh, come up with a win-win proposition that works for the, the the city or the state or the county in terms of public benefits, uh, and works for the team in terms of private baseball benefits, um, then uh, then you've done something uh, that's uh, noteworthy and uh, something you should be proud of that will have a profound impact both on your community and on your sports team. And we've been lucky in the cities that uh, I've had to the opportunity to operate in, uh, we've been able to come up with win-win uh, propositions that have been great both for both in terms of public benefits and baseball benefits. Yeah, public benefits, baseball, social, political leadership, and all of the necessities of of doing this are are really important. And there are very few people who possess the skills and ability. Well, you know to do how all. hard, Rick. You know how hard it is to do it. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, but and and and, and frankly, it's uh, it's. Uh, 
you know, the outsider has the benefit of coming in with a suitcase and talking about whether it's right or not, and you don't have to listen. But the insider who understands what the deal is at City Hall, sometimes there's a little more cynicism about the inside guy, and, and obviously you transcend three efforts and you get three of these deals done. And well, I, I'm, I'm going to ask it, and you're going to answer it politically, I know, but you look back at all three processes, which one was most difficult, which one do you take the most prize, pride in? Well, boy, they were they were each different, and I think that's an important lesson to start with. Uh, you cannot take uh, lessons from one franchise and one uh, league or location and apply it lavishly to the next situation. Uh, these uh, s- uh, solutions or uh, uh, arrangements are are not that fungible. Uh, you've got to have some sensitivity to uh, to the um, uniqueness of each. Uh, site each city. Uh, we had we have a fourth one um, that's in our portfolio as well. We did a, uh, a spring training complex in um, in Lee County in Florida uh, for the Red Sox as well, and we did that with the cooperation of the Lee County uh, uh, Board of Governors, uh, Board of Board of Commissioners, and the uh, and the public there as well. Uh, so you know, I think in all four of those opportunities. Uh, uh, we succeeded in uh, getting what was very uh, important to the club, and the community succeeded in getting something that was very important um, uh, to to the uh, city or, or or state or county, whatever the governmental entity was, uh, beyond the mere uh, preservation of of baseball. You got a really darn unique skill set, and it covers a lot of different things, including being a lawyer, and and that 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 means that means a lot. At least it's a self-serving comment, but it means a lot. Uh, how, how does how does an executive that transitions from a pro sports front office with your skill set uh, differ from, let's say, a tech exec hopping software companies or a Wall Street guy switching brokerage firms? Well, I, of course, of course, I've not done the latter, so right. I'm only right. uh, spec- speculating about that. Uh, I think one, uh, one difference is that we are we in sports, uh, we in baseball, relatively small community, and the uh, opportunities are um, and the individuals are, are probably better known. Um, and so your reputation gets uh, set pretty early and reinforced uh, with great regularity. I suspect those other industries are a little larger, and there's not the same um, uh, oh, the same awareness of one's uh, uh, success or failures. Um, secondly, in sports, you recognize that you're part of a team, uh, not just a team on the field, but the team in the front office. It sounds cliched and hackneyed and all of that, but it is absolutely true. You're only a good as the band you can assemble around you and uh, I don't know that one in other industries has the same opportunity to assemble uh, uh, the architecture of a front office or the uh, or the various band members because that is what matters it's the people stupid and, and you uh, take and the, yeah and, and you take your loyal band of people with you from place to place and you could tell the successful visionaries have the ability to do that uh, you've also developed a pretty interesting cottage industry of being commencement speaker at various places, BU in 08, uh, Ava Maria in 10, New England School of Law uh, in 08. I guess I missed Bryant in 09, and I'm sure there are a few recently. What, what do you say? <laughs> well, I try to, to talk um, 
briefly. That's the first lesson. <laughs> yeah, nobody, everybody wants to throw you know, the hats, right? Yeah. Yeah, if, so. they're, if they're going to classes for four years, the last yeah. thing they want to hear is a long-winded uh, speech by a sports executive. But I try to teach them, uh, or at least to, re- to reflect on, the lessons that the uh, life and the world of sports have uh, have taught me. And, uh, and, that, and you know, those are... Um, very general uh, values to be sure, but also some specific anecdotes. And of course, no baseball executive worth his salt would ever give a um, commencement speech without liberal references to Yogi Berra, who passed yep. away. Very well put. And uh, we should play his uh, uh, play the place a tribute uh, uh, to him uh, uh, for. Um, what his lifetime was in baseball, and of course uh, his help, his, the help he gave to so many of us uh, commencement speakers. Thank yeah. you, Yogi, for everything. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, it, it laughs, but the guy was a very, very serious, very thoughtful person. And you know, kudos and and, uh, and honors to his career, and 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 condolences to his family. Uh, segue a couple of minutes to international, given the Reuters international reach. You don't, you're not, you're not involved. In Liverpool, you have not been involved in Liverpool on a day-to-day basis, but Fenway Sports. Group clearly is involved in promoting the Red Sox brand globally. Talk about the synergies. Well, I was uh, not not been involved uh, since the earliest days when we made the basic uh, decision to acquire Liverpool. Uh, it came through a, uh, a baseball uh, connection, and um, I was a uh, an advocate for it. Uh, John Henry, Tom Warner, uh, in our FSG group, uh, um, lead the lead the parade here. But um, the, my um, recommendation to them was that we take a seriously serious look at this thing. That uh, not for this uh, simple reason that uh, we can bring a lot of our expertise to them, but because we could probably learn a good deal from them about international operations, about uh, uh, fan uh, fan clubs and, and fan management services, and uh, that's proven to be true. It's been a, a two way two way street. We've learned some things from them, and they've learned some things from us. Is baseball heading in the right direction? Internationally? Everywhere. Everywhere. Well, let me just say internationally, I think it is. I think the 10th Commissioner, Rob Manford, is picking up and uh, running with the foundation that was laid by the 9th Commissioner, Bud Selig. And Rob has a very strong interest in uh, uh, an aptitude for international development of baseball and I think it's uh, it's uh, it seems like the last frontier in some ways but uh, um, I, I think there's a there's rich opportunity there in general uh, baseball has a fractious uh, history that's uh, um, been tamed a bit in recent years, and in large part by the work that uh, Bud Selig and uh, Rob Manfred have done on the labor front and with our partners in labor. Uh, so, uh, if the if peace uh, is uh, is maintained, I think there is a a, a, a very bright uh, future uh, for baseball. I, I recognize there are a lot of naysayers who talk about the length of the game. Well, we're addressing some of these issues. I'm not saying the game is perfect, but the game can be made more perfect as we go forward and more international and more oriented towards children. And, and I think as a result, it, it will have an enduring popularity that uh, will, will uh, only continue to grow. Finally, 
you're 70 years old. You've got 40 more years left in the business. What's next for Larry? Stop talking about how old I am. <laughs> that's the book. You're 70 going on okay. 30, though. That's the bottom line. Thank you. So what Thank you. you. Right. Right. You're welcome. Now, what do you do for the next uh, 40 years? Well, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I, I love Boston. I love the Red Sox. I'm in a. Uh, I'll probably stay here in some uh, some uh, ceremonial, uh, modest capacity, and try to help this uh, franchise uh, grow and uh, and prosper and and win. And I'm going to try to do some more things in Boston with the Jimmy Fund, which is a subject near and dear to my heart. And I uh, hope to do some things. Uh, for baseball with respect to the CBA and international development. So there's a plus I've got the obligations of our Red Sox AAA franchise in Pawtucket, for which I'm the principal owner. And um, so there's a pretty full uh, slate of things right there. And just, just repeating them makes me tired. Yeah, well, listen, you have a full plate, and baseball needs you, and you're going to do fine. And I love your friendship, and I appreciate the time you're spending with me. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Rick. It's always, it's always fun. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. The producer of the show is Alex Cohen. Audio producer, Adam Wieson. Technical assistance provided by Jamie Weber, Tanner Simpkins, and Carlos Waddick. The executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso.